Why do we fail at temptations? And why are temptations so hard? Uh, It just can seem like sometimes that uh, it is failure after failure. It's unbelievable the frustration we can feel that there sometimes seems that there's no hope for success. And our desire to overcome temptation seem like we're not getting anywhere. So what's the point? We just can sometimes throw up our hands, want to give up as we try to struggle through those temptations. And I think one of the reasons why there can be difficulty for us in, in dealing and struggling with temptations is often we don't get underneath uh, the root cause of what is, is tempting us. We we see the shiny outside of whatever it is, that bait that sits there, and, and fail to maybe capture, well, what is it that is ultimately pulling at my heart and what is ultimately behind me that is trying to uh, cause me to be able to uh, move into those temptations the way that we are. And so what Jesus is going to do here as we look at Matthew chapter 4 is help us understand what is underneath the temptation? And I'm going to present this uh, text in, in a bit of a different way. And my message is not for you. Well, notice he used scripture three times. So every time you're in a temptation, get your Bible out and you'll win. I, I don't think that's the, the point of the text at all. But in Jesus' answer to each of these temptations, you're going to notice that he gets to the root of the problem. He bypasses what Satan is saying. And he gets underneath it and deals with the issue at hand. So that's how we're going to look at it today. Now, one of the important pictures we've seen in our in our study here in these first four chapters is that the arrival of Jesus is tracing Israel's history. We see as Herod was killing the male children that can be traced back to Pharaoh doing that in the days of Moses. We see uh, out of Egypt, I called my son with Jesus being connected to Moses and leading the people out that Matthew 2 has done that. We even see in Matthew 3 that as Israel passed through the waters of the Red Sea, we have observed Jesus being baptized and carrying that imagery out. And remember that after Israel had passed through the Red Sea, they come to Mount Sinai and they end up in the wilderness, that God leads them into the wilderness. And you will notice in chapter 4, verse 1, the same wording is given that it says that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. So we have a, a, a tracking of the same path. And you might remember when Israel went into the wilderness, They failed catastrophically. It was complaining. It was setting up golden calves. It was refusing to go into the land of Canaan until ultimately that generation died in the wilderness. And now the temptations as Jesus comes into the wilderness are put before him to see whether he is going to succeed or whether he is going to fail. You'll notice in Matthew 4 and verse 2, it says that after 40 days and 40 nights... He was hungry. And in your mind, you might connect that to uh, Israel was in the wilderness for the 40 years and the temptations that were going on and the trials that were going on at that time. But perhaps even a more closer connection is that of Moses as 
Moses recounts his time with God. And he says that I was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and I was fasting. And we have seen in each of these lessons this connection that Jesus is the new Moses who is giving the new deliverance to lead people out of slavery from sin and into a great freedom that lies ahead. And Matthew just keeps layering that on and he does it here again that this is our one who has come to save. And notice how it it plays out then verse 3. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, you might have read this temptation before and perhaps have wondered what would have been the big deal if Jesus just made himself some breakfast out there out of some stones. I mean, it's 40 days, it's 40 nights, he's fasting, he's hungry, he is God. So so what is ultimately the big deal? And that's part of what you see even Satan saying, if you're the son of God, just go ahead and take care of yourself. What are you waiting for? Turn these stones, turn these stones to bread. But I want you to notice how Jesus answers this helps us see what the issue really is. And, and it, the quotation comes back from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I mean, we'll look at what he, he says there. And he, he, he says there, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God had led you these 40 years in the wilderness and he, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna so that you did not know, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The first thing that I want you to see is as he quotes this passage, there is a picture of him testing what is in your heart. And what was the test that Moses tells Israel what God was trying to get you to understand? And the message was that while you are in the wilderness, your lives are in the hands of God. That's what he wanted them to learn. That was the continued failure out there. They would not have water. And what would they do? Panic. We're out of water. We're all going to die. We need to go back to Egypt. And then after a month goes by and they're without food. Oh no, what are we going to do? We need to kill Moses and go back to Egypt because we don't have any food out here. And Moses, as he comes to the end of their time, he says, I want you to know what God was trying to do for you. Is that I was trying to get you to understand That your life is in God's hands. That's the idea of when it says man does not live by bread alone. Because when you read that, you think about, well, yes, it does. (laughs) We absolutely live by having food and having physical things. And what can you possibly mean that man doesn't live by bread alone? How could you possibly say that? And yet what Jesus understood as he's out here in the wilderness that Israel failed to understand was that his life was in God's hands and not in the physical circumstances. To put it this way, what Jesus is understanding is he's not living by what he sees, but was living by God's provision. He knew that God was going to take care of him in the wilderness, which 
Israel was hopefully going to learn. God is going to take care of you. You don't need to run around trying to map out water and try to figure out where the next food stand is going to be. God is going to provide for you. Do you believe that God will take care of you? Jesus' answer to Satan is, I believe that God is going to take care of me. I don't need to turn stones to bread. I don't need to take care of my own desires. I don't need to take care of this myself. God is going to provide for me. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. How many of our temptations are basically centered around trusting whether God is going to take care of us or not? How many temptations do we face where it ultimately boils down to, I don't believe that God is going to take care of this need that I have. I need to take care of it myself. That's what's underneath the temptation. It's not just, hey, turn stones to bread, you're God. Do you believe that God will take care of you in this moment? Or do you need to take care of yourself? Because God's not going to. You need to take care of your needs. Because we do live by bread alone. We do live by our physical circumstances. And if I don't take care of it, then nobody else will. I think so many of our temptations really do boil down to that. Why do we cave into sexual temptations? Because we believe that God's not going to provide these needs. Why do we cave into our emotions like anger and malice and slander and outbursts? Well, we don't believe that God's going to take care of these things. And so I need to react. I need to respond. I need to do something. Why do we fall into anxiety and worry? Because God's not going to take care of these things. I need to. I've got to have control. I've got to take care of it. Nobody's going to help me. I have to do it. So many of our temptations really boil down to believing that we do live by bread alone, that our lives are exclusively dependent upon our power, my control, not God. And that's what's at stake in this first temptation, that God is trying to teach us that our lives are completely dependent upon God. The whole time of the wilderness wanderings was trying to teach the people, your lives are in God's hands. Do you believe he's going to provide for you? Do you believe he's going to take care of you? That's what makes the wilderness so fascinating is God did not decide to feed them every single day so that they never had the test or the trial or the challenge. He let them go a whole month. I tell you, by day one, I would have already been like, okay, God, I better go find my own food because I'm getting hungry around here. For 30 days, 30 days he let that happen. Why? To try to show that we don't live by physical circumstances, but that our lives are in the hands of God. And that's hard. That's a hard truth to deal with. And so many of the temptations that Satan throws at us center around that idea. And I hope that we would realize that we will always fail at our temptations if we think 
that we're the only ones taking care of ourselves and God's not going to fulfill what we need. If I put all of this into my hands, then I'm going to say yes to every single trap, temptation, and bait that Satan throws at me. Because I got to take care of me because God's not going to. I need to. And that's ultimately what Jesus is doing here in this moment is trying to say, we live not because we can produce certain things in our lives and because you make a lot of money and you do this and you do this and it's all about you, but because God is in control and God is the reason why you have every single thing you have. And he's the very reason why you have the money you have, the place you live, the thing you drive, the job you have and anything else. He's the reason why. And that's not by me. That's by him. That's the difference. And I think that's an important picture that is being given to us, that God has us right here where we are, that God has us here in this moment. Jesus understood that 40 days in the wilderness. And he's saying, I know that God has me here in this moment. God is going to provide for me. And I do not need to turn these stones into bread. God's going to take care of it. And so he turns and says, here's what the scriptures say. Man doesn't live by physical circumstances, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. God says it, it's going to happen. God will take care of me. Powerful picture of what this temptation ultimately is. And I would submit to you so many of our temptations boil down to do we trust ourselves or do we trust God? Number two, verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. All right, second temptation. Throw yourself down and have the angels just raise you up. What is going on ultimately with this test? Again, the quotation from where Jesus goes is helpful. And again, it is to the sermon of Moses reminding about the people's failure in the wilderness. It's a quotation that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. As you tested him at Massa, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And so in understanding this temptation and understanding what Jesus is answering, we have to remember, well, what happened at Massa? What happened there that Jesus is quoting that scene from Deuteronomy 6 and saying, okay, here's how we're going to respond to this. Now, you might remember this is, again, another failure of Israel because in Exodus chapter 17, we see that they are fighting with Moses because they don't have water to drink. And you might think that's all simple and no big deal and all of that. But the way that scene ends is important because you're told in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 7, the place was called Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. But then notice what, how it ends. And because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us 
or not. Now think about what was happening at that moment. Here they are in the wilderness. They don't have water. And they're saying that God has to do something. But notice it's not just simply the physical need. That's the first temptation. We talked about that. No, the second temptation is this. Is God really with me or not? That's what they're fighting over. God can't be with us. We're out here struggling. Where's God? There needs to be another demonstration of God's power so that we know that God is with us. That's what they're arguing over. That's what they're quarreling with Moses. Is God among us or not? Because if he is, then he needs to show it. There needs to be some kind of display to show he's with us. Now, I want you to take a step back and think about that for a minute. For the people of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, had God already displayed his power to show that he was with his people? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, I'm quoting from Exodus 17. It was just a couple chapters earlier that we parted the Red Sea, death of the firstborn, the Passover sequence, people going through on the other side, the Egyptians killed in in the Red Sea. There's been a whole display of God's power. Here we are now just a little bit later. And the big question is, well, I don't know if God's with us or not. I don't believe he's among us. So he's going to have to show his power to show that he's with us. That's what the quotation's coming from. And I want you to notice that that's what Jesus is responding to here as well. In our sequence in the Gospel of Matthew, has God already shown that he is with Jesus? Yes, he has. In the baptism of Jesus that we looked at last week, remember... As he comes up out of the water, the heavens are opened. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased or in whom I take delight. God has already affirmed I am with him. Now he's taken out into the wilderness. And the question is, does God need to show his power again to show that, yes, God is with Jesus That's the response that Jesus is giving here at this moment is that Jesus is getting underneath the temptation. And the temptation is this, that we can easily fall into. If God will do something for me, then I will do fill in the blank. You need to display your power and show that you're with me. And notice that's the essence of the temptation. Throw yourself down off the pinnacle of this temple and let the angels come swooping in and bear you up and be this amazing display of God's power so that everyone will know God is with you. And Jesus is saying, I don't need to do that. There doesn't need to be a display of God's power for me to know. That God's with me. That's what's underneath the temptation at this moment. That Jesus is putting his finger on at this very scene. And I want us to think about how real this temptation can be for us. You have the Apostle Paul writing in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. God has demonstrated or proven his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died. 
And in that statement, there is something that is final that is essentially saying, you don't need God to do another display for you to know that he is with you and he loves you. You don't need another display. He's proven it. There's not a bigger display than the cross. But often what happens is when things get hard, we start putting demands on God. When we come into trials and we come into hardships and we come into the wilderness like Jesus is in and like Israel was put in. When we come into those times of difficulty, it is easy for us to come to God and say, God, you need to fix this. You need to change this. You're not running my life right. How could this happen to me? Why aren't you doing something? And I just want you to take a minute and to consider what demands are you putting on God that you're saying in your life he needs to do something to demonstrate his power to you so that you know God is with you. That's ultimately the question. Is God among us or not? And how easy it is if we don't say it to think that. Well, if God is with me, then why doesn't he do Why doesn't he change this? Why did this happen to me? Why don't things get better? Why don't I have? Or if I can ask it another way, what do you think God should have to do for you? God, you need to do this. I need to know that you're with me. And so if, I, if you're with me, you need to do this. And can I ask it another way? Would you ever be able to stand before God and just say, you know what? God has wronged me. Now, Job tried that, if you remember. Job tried that and said, God, you, you aren't running the world right. You have, you, you've messed this up. And if I just had a chance to get up there and talk to him a little bit, we could straighten this all out because he's not doing right by me. You might know how that played out later. He was very sorry that he had said such things. What are we going to stand before God and say, God, you should have had my life go like this. I didn't need to go through the wilderness. I didn't need to go through the trials and the difficulties. God, why are you doing it like this? Why are you making it so hard? But I hope that you would think about how many life trials challenge us to want to challenge God. God, you need to show that you're among us. You need to show me that you're in my life. You need to do this. And ultimately, I think that it's so important that we consider that we are either going to trust God or we are going to say God needs to do something more and then I'll trust him. What else does God have to do? Well, God, you need to do. And if you will do this, then I'm in. Fix this, change this, modify this, do something different. And if you do this, then I'm in. 
And I want you to see that that is a temptation that comes up in our trials. It is something that is so easy to have come up is to think that God just needs to show that he's with us. And it's a powerful that you have Jesus essentially saying, I don't need that. Don't put the Lord to the test. And the test was about, is God among us or not? I don't need to put God to the test. I know he's with me. And I don't need a big display. I don't need to jump off the top of the temple and show that God is clearly with me. I know he is. He will always be with me. That is how he overcomes that second temptation. The third one, verse 8. And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The final temptation And Jesus gets under it with, we only worship God. Now, you might read that and think, well, that one's pretty obvious. We're only supposed to worship God. I don't really see where the temptation is. And I think it's easy to acknowledge when we are not in a temptation, when things are going easy, that, yes, I need to only worship God. We will say it. We will proclaim it. But I... I hope that we would consider that that's not as easy as it sounds when life gets really hard. When Jesus quotes this scripture, he is quoting again from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's interesting that he zeroes in on the wilderness time that Moses is talking about as Jesus is also in the wilderness. And you can imagine there are a myriad of places that Jesus could have quoted that says you're not supposed to have any other gods before him. Worship God alone. It's all over the scriptures. It's not like there was only one place and this was it. But the place that he chooses is interesting because this quotation has an important context. As Moses reminds Israel about what had happened in the wilderness, he reminds them and says, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. That's where Jesus is quoting from. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst as a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you off the face of the earth. Now, what is Moses referring to when there was a time when Israel had worshipped other gods and the anger of the Lord was kindled and they were nearly wiped off the face of the earth? You might remember it is the time when Moses is up on the mountain and the people of Israel remain in the camp. And Moses has been up there those 40 days and they finally say, what has happened to this Moses? We don't know. Hey, Aaron, you need to make us some gods that we can follow. You know, out jumps this golden calf and they all now begin to worship it. And it says they rose up, they ate and they drank and they played. Eventually, they just basically said, well, we guess Moses is gone. So we will worship this God, still the true and living God. We're gonna, we didn't leave our God. They said they were worshiping the Lord but through the golden calf so that we can do whatever we want. And that is ultimately the third temptation that comes before us. 
And the temptation is this. I want a God that I can see that lets me do whatever I want to do. That's what happened there. Of this Moses, we don't know. Give us something visual, a calf. And the very next thing they do with the calf means we can do whatever we want. And so eat, drink, play is a very nice word. They're committing all kinds of sins. That's why the anger of the Lord is kindled, as he tells Moses, essentially, you see what your people doing down there. I'm going to have to deal with this. Moses intercedes. And this is, I think, a a really big part of what happens is that when life gets hard, then I want a God that I can see that allows me to do whatever I want to do. I want to be able to say that I am still worshiping God, but I'm still able to do whatever I want to do. And notice that's the essence of the temptation here. The temptation is for just a moment, Jesus, if you'll just kind of give me a quick little bow right here, you can have what you desire. All the kingdoms of the earth. I mean, friends, that's why he came. He's putting all things under his feet. Bypass the cross. You don't need a cross. Just a minute right here. Just bow down. And you can still have your God and have everything you want. That's ultimately what the temptation is about. Jesus can have what he wants. And make it, if you just simply make his desires his priority. Oh, you want to be over all the kingdoms of the earth? I'll give it to you this way. By the way, I would put in a parenthesis right here. This is also how Satan always attacks us. He's always trying to say to you and to me, you can have exactly what you want if you just give me a minute right here. I'm not asking for your life. I just want a minute. Just give me a minute right here. Then you'll have whatever you want. And I think it's interesting that Jesus simply responds, no, no. Him only you shall serve. Him only you shall worship. You will worship the Lord your God and it will be him alone. And he understands that the path to what he desires is going to come through God. It's going to come through God's will. It's going to come through the cross. Now, I don't even know that we can appreciate the gravity of the temptation to be able to tell Jesus, you can avoid all the pain and suffering to be able to have all the kingdoms of the world. Just this moment right over here. Just skip the cross, skip the pain, skip the suffering, skip all that. We're all about that. Man, I'm going to skip the suffering, skip the pain. Is this the easier path, the convenient path, the comfortable path? That's our temptation all the time. Take the easy path. Don't go the hard way. Take the easy way. God's way is too hard. going to take too long. You should go the easy way. going to be fast, going to be simple, going to be easy. It's always what's put before us. And ultimately how this plays out in our lives is I can live my life my way and God's going to be quite fine with that. I'm worshiping God, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll live how I want to live. I can be a Christian and not change my life whatsoever. I can be a Christian and obey some of the laws, but not the ones that I don't like. I don't have to do some of those. I can be a Christian and stay in my sins. I can be a Christian and pick and choose which laws work for me. 
that's ultimately what this is about. Jesus, yeah, I follow God, but let me just take this one quick little sidestep over here, and then I'll be right back over here with God. Just, you know, it's just a moment over here. I'm a follower, but I'll do what I want. That's what the temptation is all about. A decision. You follow God, but I want to be able to do what I want. And the thing that I want us to consider is it was God's desire for Jesus to receive the kingdoms of the earth. But not like that. You know, sometimes we default and excuse a lot of our sins and falling into temptation because we can say, well, God wants me to be. And I'll say to that, yes, but not like that. Not that way. Absolutely he does, but not that way. Not like that. He wants Jesus to be over all the kingdoms of the earth, but not like that. That was not the path. That was not the way. And ultimately, I want us to understand that when we say, oh, I worship God, but I am doing what I want to do right here, you are worshiping another God and not the true and living God. We like to pretend and say, oh, no, I really am worshiping God. That's what they were doing in Exodus 32 when they were there at the golden calf. They didn't say, we do not believe in Yahweh, the true and living God. We believe in this cow. That's not what they're doing. They're saying, This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Look at their words. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. We're worshiping God right here. God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. When you choose to do your will your way, you're worshiping another God. You're not worshiping the true and living God. We cannot bypass God's will by doing what, what meets our needs our way and then say we're followers of God. We have a fine way of doing this. <laughs> we cannot bypass God's will to do what we want to meet our needs our way and say we worship and serve the true and living God. No, you don't. We worship a false God. We worship the God that says, oh, I can do whatever I want to do and I get to pick and choose what I will obey and what I will not obey. God was going to give all these things to Jesus, but it was going to have to be through the cross. The path to victory is understanding that you can't bypass God's will to accomplish this. Let's pull it all together then. I hope that one of the things that sometimes happens as you come across a passage like this, people say, I just don't see how Jesus was tempted in every way like us. And certainly I believe there were many other temptations in the life of Jesus. I don't believe he had three and then he was done. And wow, that was really simple for him. But I do hope that you would see when you get underneath the temptations, he absolutely is tempted just like us. When you get underneath what they are about, what exactly Jesus is being tempted against. The similarities are very much the same. That we see him succeeding against these temptations. Number one, first temptation, because he knew that his life was in God's hands. He knew that. He did not need to live by his own power, 
or his own provision, but simply by God's help and God's blessing. He would leave it in the hands of God. That is how he was able to succeed in that first one. That knowledge. Friends, our lives are in the hands of God. And do we believe that Jesus is taking care of you today or not? You know, Jesus will challenge that in chapter six, because remember what your prayer, this model prayer, give us this day what we need, our daily bread, the, the provisions. Not, I will go take care of my needs and I don't need you, God. Temptation one, do we believe in the moment that God will take care of us and provide us what we need? Number two, Jesus succeeds because he knew that God was with him. He didn't need another display to prove it. And friends, we have the cross to know that God is with us. And we do not need to tell God how to run our lives, how to do things differently, or to give us another display. God is with you. And we can firmly believe that he is with us, even if he leads us through the valleys of the shadow of death. Even if he leads us through the darkest of times, there is no reason to doubt that God is not with us. The third temptation, Jesus succeeds because he understood that worshiping God meant doing God's will and not seeking his own desires. We do not live for our own desires, but we live for God's glory so that in the end that God would be glorified. And one of the things that I hope that you will see is if you look under every temptation, I want you to see the root of what Satan is doing to you. It's not just as simple as anger or sexual immorality or malice. It's not as simple as that. There is something under it. And usually what is under it is do you trust God to take care of it or not? Do you feel like you are the one that has to solve your own problems and fulfill your own desires and get your pound of flesh and get your justice? Or do you believe that God can be trusted to take care of all of those matters? It ultimately boils down to that. Will you trust God in that moment that he will give you what you need, that you can have your desires and your needs met in God's way and not in your own way, not in the way of the temptation? That is ultimately what each of these come down to. And one of the wonderful things about Jesus' success, where Israel fails, but Jesus succeeds, is so that he can stand before the Father and intercede on our behalf for all the times that we have been in the wilderness and we have failed, and we have failed, and we have failed. We have one who has walked through the wilderness who succeeded and could stand before the Father and say, my blood's on that person. Don't hold it against him. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, first Lord, forgive us for how often we succumb to temptations. Forgive us for how often we ultimately fail to trust you and that's why we cave in. That we do not believe that you have us in this moment. We do not believe that you're going to take care of us. We do not believe that you will provide what we need. We don't believe that you're doing a good job running our lives. 
God, forgive us for how often we feel that way, we think that way, or even say that. Forgive us for our constant failure to temptation. And Lord, thank you for your son who succeeded so that we could be forgiven. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our resolve, strengthen our faith, and give us what we need when those temptations come against us so that we would be victorious. Give us what we need, Lord, so that we would see underneath that temptation and to choose to trust you rather than trusting in ourselves. Give us the strength, Lord, to trust your will and not our will. Give us the strength to choose your desires and not ours. And Lord, we pray as we go through this week that we would live what we proclaim, that we are followers of you, that we serve you and not ourselves. Help us in this effort. Forgive us each day, Lord, and give us the strength to live stronger for you in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing an invitation song here in just a minute, and I'm going to see, no, it still didn't want to do it, so I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you the number, 684. It's been one of those days when everything goes wrong. You wake up and your dishwasher wants to leak everywhere and your computer doesn't want to work right. What do you want to do? You know, it's one of those days. (laughs) The invitation, though, is to you to come to him who understands your difficulty, who understands your temptation, who understands your trials. He's been put to the test and he's here for you that you would give your life to him and turn away from sin and to follow him with all of your heart. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Can we help you do that? Won't you come while we stand and while we